Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Speaking to his flock in the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, we join Archbishop Alexander Sample as he reflects upon our faith, culture, and life in the church on The Voice of the Shepherd. Joining Archbishop Sample is your host, Dina Marie Hale. And now, The Voice of the Shepherd. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Voice of the Shepherd. I'm Dina Marie Hale, your host, and with me in studio is Archbishop Alexander Sample. And tis the season for confirmations. It is a very busy time, May and June, very, very popular times for us to bring our families together to walk the Christian walk. And so we'll talk a little bit more about this beautiful sacrament in the church, why confirmation, and how do we live this out fully in the church. And as we begin, Archbishop, please begin with us in prayer. Yes. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful. Enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who does instruct the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant that by the gifts of that same spirit we may be always truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolations. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Holy Mary, our hope, seat of wisdom. Pray for us. St. Joseph. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's, before we get into what is confirmation, mm. there's this progression of the Christian life. And certainly people come into the Christian life in different ages, but typically it's as a baby at that moment of mm. baptism. That's that first, that first initiation into the Christian family. And I love to see at a baptism in the church this, let's welcome this new member of the Christian family. And give us a sense of the flow of, of how we walk the Christian walk following the steps of the disciples in the first Christians who became Christians, there was this progression of how we learned, how we grew, how we matured in the faith. Right. The The, the traditional ordering of the sacraments actually are, are different <laughs> than, than the way mm-hmm. we typically experience, in, experience them today. In the earliest days of the church, for those, because you have to remember in those early early days, there were no such thing as bap- bringing baptized Christians into full communion with the church, such as we might do today for our Protestant brothers and sisters who seek that, that fuller communion. In the early church, everyone who was becoming a Christian was unbaptized. Everyone who wanted to become a Christian was unbaptized and so needed the, the sacrament of baptism. But it would all happen in that one experience at the the Easter vigil. And you know the 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 vigil was a very it was it was a true vigil. I mean we get you know the people who think that the two and a half three hour long Easter vigil is is just too much. Well, in the early church it was an all night <laughs> affair. Mm-hmm. And and what would happen is the the church would gather um, for the vigil and the the already baptized would spend the entire night in vigil with uh, the 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 catechumens, the elect, those to be baptized. So it was, it was really a reflecting on the on the history of salvation as recorded in sacred scripture. We still do that with the the up to seven readings that we mm-hmm. that we uh, hear 
at the Easter Vigil. But this was an all-night. I mean, they were really pouring through the Scriptures all night, reflecting. And at a certain point, the the elect, those to be uh, brought into the church, would be led away to the baptistry. And the three sacraments that those would receive that night were baptism, the sacrament of confirmation, the anointing with the Holy Spirit, and then culminating in the celebration of the Eucharist, and the reception of the body and blood of our Lord. So that was the traditional order. And it would all happen on that one night. Baptism, mm-hmm. followed by confirmation by the bishop, and then being admitted to the Eucharistic table of the Lord and, and to participate in the holy sacrifice of the Mass for the first time and to receive the body and blood of Christ. So that's the, the, the progression. But again, this was preceded by maybe up to three years of formation. So the catechumenate was not a, it was not a, a, a you know, calendar year academic mm-hmm. September to Easter affair as we typically experience it today. It would, you know, it could take up to three years to be in the catechumenate, to be formed, to be catechized, to understand the Christian life and the moral life that was demanded of, of the Christian so that those who are making that, that discernment to become baptized and who would be elected by the church, it was the church yeah. That would decide when you were ready. You know, it wasn't just this, uh, I want to be a Christian, mm-hmm. so therefore I have a right to be a Christian and uh, on my time uh, schedule. No, the church discerned yeah. when you were ready. And that's why the right of election uh, was when the bishop called those to the Easter sacraments. And the right of election was to say, these are the catechumens who at this year's Easter vigil are ready to be incorporated into the body of Christ and to receive the sacraments of initiation. Now, as time and history went on, the sacrament of confirmation became dislocated, if you will, disassociated Mm -hmm. with baptism. And the reason that happened was because as the church grew, in the earliest days, it was the bishop Mm -hmm. at the Easter Vigil who baptized all those coming into the church and confirmed all those coming into the church and celebrated the Eucharist and gave the body and blood of Christ to those coming into the church. But as the church grew and as the communities of faithful grew that we would call, I guess, now parishes, the bishop couldn't be everywhere. In other words, the bishop, as the church grew, could not be there to baptize every (laughs) catechumen coming into the church at the Easter Vigil. I mean, there were thousands of them in different places. Mm -hmm. But in order to keep the connection to the bishop as the one, as the high priest of the flock, if you will, of the shepherd of, of the flock, as the spiritual father to the flock, as the successor to the apostles for the flock, to keep that connection with the bishop even though the presbyters, the priests, would baptize the, mm-hmm. uh, the, those coming into the church, the uh, celebration of the anointing with the chrism and the gift of the Holy Spirit and confirmation was, was still reserved for the bishop. Mm-hmm. And so they would be baptized but would wait for when the bishop could come to, to give them the sacrament of the Holy Spirit in, in, in confirmation. So it became it, it became this separate uh, sacrament, but it was always to keep that connection to the bishop and to the larger church. 
that it's not just this little community I'm becoming a part of. I have a, I have a, I have a bishop. I have a spiritual father who is my shepherd, who is the successor to the apostles here, um, and and I need to keep that connection with the wider church. So uh, for for the longest time, then the order was still the same, though. Mm-hmm. For the longest time, it would be the the sacrament of baptism, which you know infants would receive. You know, and of course, adults would still receive them, but. Um, I'm not sure when the law changed that allowed priests to confirm whenever they baptize an adult. But, you know, children were being baptized because families were Christian and they were having their children baptized and, sh- and sharing in the life of faith and grace through through baptism. And then when, when the bishop was able to come around, would celebrate in groups uh, the confirmation for those who had been baptized but not yet confirmed, and then... At, at even a later age, you know, they would receive their first Holy Communion. So for the longest time, at least the original order of the sacraments was preserved. Baptism followed by confirmation, followed by the Eucharist at a later age. Well, then Pius X came along <laughs> and really wanted uh, young people to be able to receive the Eucharist at a younger age. I mean, uh, there was a, for the longest time in the church, I, I think right around the age 13 or so, 12, 13 is when you'd receive your first Holy Communion. Mm-hmm. And you'd be confirmed before that. Maybe sometimes in the same ceremony. But when when Pius X decided to to allow children to receive the graces of the sacrament of the Eucharist at a younger age, at the age of reason, which is presumed to be around seven years old, that lowered the age for Holy Communion, mm-hmm. but what happened was it left confirmation floating out there yeah. at a later age, and in most places, sort of, if you will, messed up the order of the sacraments of initiation, because now children were being baptized as infants, receiving their first Holy Communion around the age of seven, and then being confirmed at a later age, mm-hmm. and that age began to float, you know, many were confirmed in middle school age, 6th, 7th, 8th grade. Uh, but some were confirmed into high school, some even as seniors in high school, in many places juniors in high school. So it became sort of this sacrament of, of Christian maturity, if you will, which really is not what the sacrament is all about. It's about the giving of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So there's a move in, in many places to restore the order of the sacraments, to confirm before we give First Holy Communion again, which then has to be done at a very early age. So this is all sort of in discussion. I mean, we're discussing it quite honestly here in the Archdiocese mm-hmm. of Portland, long-term what we want to do with the sacrament. But anyway, but the sacrament of confirmation is that is that sacrament by which we are sealed. It's kind of the sealing of our baptism. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, are, we are confirmed in our faith. We receive the outpouring of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, just as the apostles did at Pentecost, all of the gifts of the Spirit. We receive a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit in baptism, certainly, because we receive the indwelling of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit certainly does come upon us and into us at baptism. But there's a special sacrament to recognize that there was a separate outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, upon the church, upon the apostles, upon the disciples. And we see this even in, 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 in recorded in the Acts of the Apostles about how the gift, of, sometimes, you know, somebody was baptized, but but they had not yet received the Spirit. And so the Apostles would pray and the Spirit would, would come. This, the Apostles received the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, 
not just for themselves, but then in order to give the gift of the Spirit to, to those who were, were the disciples of Jesus and, and who had been baptized. So the, so the sacrament of confirmation is a special anointing of the Holy Spirit, a special outpouring of the gifts of the Holy Spirit into the, the heart of the disciple, a strengthening of their faith. Uh, that's really what, what confirmation means. It's not, it's not so much that I'm going to confirm my faith in the sense mm-hmm. that, okay, at baptism, my parents made promises for me. They had me baptized. Now it's my turn to confirm my faith and as if you know I'm now confirming it. No, what we mean by confirmation really is more strengthening. It's a, it's a strengthening of faith, hope, and love. It's a, it's a, it's a strengthening, you might say a firming up of my baptism. We used to use expressions like becoming a soldier for Christ. But it's also and it's an anointing that's supposed to allow us now to be a witness. Mm-hmm. We now are witnesses to Christ. We have received the gift. Look what happened on the day of Pentecost. You know, the disciples, the apostles were scared to death. Jesus was gone again. He had sent it back to the Father. Now they're all scared again and huddled in the upper room. And Jesus told them to wait for this promised gift that he was sending them, the gift of the paraclete, the comforter, the, the advocate, the spirit of truth. But once they received the Spirit, what did they do? Immediately they went out to bear witness. They who, those who had been afraid to whisper the name of Jesus a moment ago now go out into the streets and boldly proclaim that Jesus is risen from the dead and is the source of eternal life and is, is, is Lord and Redeemer for the world. And there's no other name by which we are to be saved, uh, even in the face of great persecution. And death, martyrdom, they boldly proclaim. But it was the gift of the Spirit that gave them that strength, that courage, the fortitude to be able to witness to Christ. So that's, that's what the confirmed receives, receives the strengthening of the Holy Spirit, a strengthening of their baptism, a, a confirmation of their baptism, an outpouring of gifts of the Holy Spirit in order that they be witnesses to Christ in order to witness to Jesus. So it's, it's, it's a very important uh, and, and powerful sacrament. Mm-hmm. And I think just how we prepare each individual for that sacrament, because there's this vehicle, the Holy Spirit, that allows us to, whether we cooperate or don't cooperate, we cannot cooperate yes. the Holy Spirit, and we can fall into the traps of the world very easily, mm-hmm. which is what the world is really trying to do. And yet... Our parish community, our family community, the archdiocese, the communion of saints all wants us to to grab onto those gifts of the Holy Spirit, to cooperate with them, to be open. But how can we prepare for confirmation to really see this? Because we're talking about 13, 14, 15-year-olds with all the things that go on with a typical teenager, and yet we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit which is so incredible. Right, and there's a lot of, of, of people who want to see the confirmation, the age of confirmation lowered. Yes. Uh, and there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of good arguments for that. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the arguments for keeping it at an older age, typically in this archdiocese, they're usually right around you know 15 or so. They're sophomores generally. I mean, there's little variance in there, but... There's a sense that 
they need this special strengthening of the Holy Spirit sooner than that with all that mm-hmm. young people are facing today. A lot of parents especially want their children to be confirmed before they hit puberty. And, uh, you know, let's just face it, you know, when puberty comes and, and our hormones start raging and, and the pressures of the world are upon us, we, we need the special gift of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us in our, in our commitment to Christ and our commitment to be faithful. But I think that, you know, what, what, in preparing for the sacrament and how to prepare our young people for the sacrament, we, we need to certainly get away from any idea that this is just sort of a, a rite of passage, if you will, or uh, this is just what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like this, this uh, initiation ritual, um, you know, similar to maybe what a, a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah might be in the Jewish tradition. You know, it's, a, it's sort of that rite of passage, mm-hmm. a recognition of, of an age that we have now achieved and we can become, quote unquote, adults in the church. Mm-hmm. It's not that at all. It's a sacrament. And what are sacraments? Outward signs instituted by Christ to give us grace. They are efficacious signs. They, they accomplish something. They do something in us. We are marked. Our soul is marked by this sacrament. We receive a sacramental character, a mark on our soul, if you will, that can never be erased, never be erased. We could become a rabid atheist after confirmation, but we will still have the mark of the Holy Spirit and our confirmation on our soul. So there's something that really transforms in us, and that's why a lot of people you know, want uh, the, the younger age. So we have to certainly help our young people understand this isn't graduation. Mm-hmm. This isn't a rite of passage. This isn't a, 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 just a recognition of, 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 a, of a new stage in my life that I've reached, my adult you know, stage as a, as a Catholic in the church. We have to help them understand this is a gift of Christ to us. This is a gift of God to us to strengthen us, to help us, to unite us more closely to him. I love reading when the, when the young people write me letters of why they want to be confirmed. And they'll write, um, I want to be closer to God. And so many times they say that I want to be confirmed because I want to be closer to God. That's a great answer. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, the reality is, the good news is confirmation does exactly that. Yeah. It draws you closer to God. But we have to help them understand that, that this is something that's really going to happen to them, mm-hmm. that there's, there's really a grace given here, and that there's a power of the Spirit that comes to you. And so, because I don't want, I don't think we should ha- be having our young people go through confirmation just because, well, it's what their family expects them to do, or it's our tradition. In other words, are we, are we, are our young people being confirmed for the right reasons? And I think that's a real question. And I think that's also why, again, some want the confirmation at a younger age, is because, you know, once you're a teenager, you know. We know what we we all know what happens when we become teenagers. You know, we become very independent thinking. We become uh, immersed in the world, and of course, with all the stuff that's out there now in social media and on the internet and everything else. And the hormones, as I said, are raging, and that that struggle to have independence is, is kicking in, and and wanting to be, uh, you know. It's not cool anymore, you know, to to want to hang around with your parents and your family. You know, all that all that stuff that goes on in the teenage mm-hmm. years. 
uh, there's some that think, well, you know, this is maybe not the best time to be catechizing young people about the sacrament because, you know, maybe they're not as receptive. Maybe they're not as well disposed to the grace that Christ wants to give uh, than perhaps they were at a younger age. I don't know. Like I said, it's, it's mm-hmm. under discussion. But I think we need to prepare them well yeah. to understand that we have to be doing this for the right reasons. Yeah. That I, in, in, in being confirmed in the, in, in the Catholic Church, I am intending to be a Catholic for the rest of my life. You know, that's the, the joke that's often said. I won't go through the whole joke because it'll take too long. But, you know, the priest who was trying to get rid of the bats out of his roof. I think I've told this joke before. Yeah. He wanted to get rid of the bats that were hanging around in the attic of the church. And he couldn't get rid of them. So what he did was he, he called the bishop in to confirm the bats, and he's never seen them since. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> right. And that's the sad reality, mm-hmm. is a lot of young people are somehow are conditioned to think, oh, I'm done now. I'm finished. I've been confirmed. I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, like dinner's done. It's been cooked. I'm done. I'm cooked. I'm all set. I don't have to go to church anymore. You know, I mean, it's crazy thinking. Yeah. But it's the, the reality is there's a tremendous fall off, drop off in, in Catholic, young Catholics attending mass after they're confirmed. And that tells us, that should tell us that we're, we're not communicating this very well to them. They're not getting it. They're not understanding I think it comes down to, are we evangelizing them? Are they really evangelized or are they just catechized? Mm -hmm. Uh, Are are we sacramentalizing them but not evangelizing them? You know, as we talked about last week with the special convocation that we had with the priests, you know, we need to immerse, soak these young people in the gospel. They need to know why this is all so important. That's my homily this year, quite honestly. You know, every year we, we have the, mm-hmm. the homily. Uh, that, that we, I, I think most bishops, they work up the one homily for the confirmation season and you just use it over and over again. When you got 20 plus confirmations, it's right. hard to come up with a different message for each group. My message basically to the young people is this. I ask them to reflect with me on three questions. Who am I? Mm-hmm. Why am I here? And what is my greatest desire in life? What do I want more than anything else out of my life in this world? And so I reflect with them on that and, and help them to see that their ultimate identity is a, is a beloved son or daughter of God. You know, we live in a world of identity politics and everybody seems to be looking for identity and ways to identify themselves and distinguish themselves and send messages and even change their identity. No, our essential identity is we are beloved sons and daughters of God. And then why am I here? You know, I'm here and created in love and for love by God. God has a purpose for my life. God has a plan for my life. I'm, I'm, I'm not an accident. And then what do I desire most? I want them to see that ultimately what we want most, I think, is love. You know, we might put different names to it. We might mm-hmm. even say, well, I say, well, happiness. I think we all want to be happy, okay? But really happiness is, is a deeper longing for love. And if we're going to hang our, our hopes in this world and what this world has to offer, we're going to be sorely disappointed. And there's only one love that ultimately satisfies, and that's the love of God for us, because he made us for himself and to be with him forever. 
So I think if we if we help the children, the young people understand what this gift of the Holy Spirit and confirmation is, why it's so important, why they are so important in the eyes of God, and what the sacrament does for them, and that it's really it, it should be life changing, then I think you know we might get get somewhere. But like you said earlier, Dina Marie. We can choose to use these mm-hmm. gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us in confirmation or not. I often, you know, use that image. You know, we can take the graces we receive in confirmation. We can take all of the gifts that are poured out on us in con- in confirmation, and just like a book, we can put it up on the shelf, mm-hmm. and there it sits on the shelf, not utilized, just sitting there, gathering dust. Whereas if we if we unleash these gifts in our lives, if we if we open ourselves to the to the uh, activation of these gifts yeah. in our lives, then the Holy Spirit's there to guide us and help us and strengthen us, especially in the difficult and the tough times. Mm-hmm. And you know, and that's again why so many parents want their children to receive confirmation at a, at a younger age is because all of the turbulence and the challenges and the struggles and the sufferings that you know, we go through in life, and especially in those in those teen years, you know, we need all the help we can get, and that's the point. There's a real help here. This is not just, again, some ritual that we put these young people through to mark a passage. No, as I often tell them, uh, the gift that I'm about to give you in the Sacrament of Confirmation, when I anoint your forehead with the chrism oil, the Christ oil, yeah. And, and, and seal you with the gift of the Holy Spirit, you are receiving the same Holy Spirit that the apostles received on the day of Pentecost mm-hmm. in the upper room. We may not see tongues of fire. We may not hear the sound of a great rushing wind, but the same Holy Spirit mm-hmm. received by the apostles is, is, is given in this wondrous sacrament. And may we be open uh, to receive that grace. Absolutely. And continue to pray for all those who are receiving and have recently received that gift of the power of the Holy Spirit and reflect ourselves. I think all of us can ask ourselves this question, who am I? Mm-hmm. Why am I here? And what is my greatest desire? And put in there, come Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Archbishop, help us close, please, yes. with your blessing. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon all of you, your families, your loved ones, and especially our young people being confirmed at this time of the year, and be with you this day and forever. Amen. Amen. And thank you all for listening to The Voice of the Shepherd on Mater Day Radio. We look forward to sharing with you again next week. For Archbishop Alexander Sample, I'm Dina Marie Hale, and until our next encounter, may you have a blessed week. You've been listening to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample, a production of the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon. To subscribe to this podcast and access to all of our past shows, visit moderndayradio.com. Please email your comments and questions for the show to info at archdpdx.org. Learn more about the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon online at archdpdx.org. Peace be with you.